Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. Do sit down. We're just about to have some tea. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. Hey weirdos, the kettle's boiled. Welcome to Tea for Terror, where we take a favourite horror film and dissect it over a nice cup of tea. I'm your host, Andrew Graves, and my guest today has been trysting with a co-ed, proving he's not even a second-rate scientist. Welcome, Dan Taylor. Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me on. Hey, you're all right. You're welcome. You're welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's it's a dreary day here in uh, the United States, so perfect to talk about Reanimator. Yeah, it's... We've had um, quite a bit of snow this week. Well, wait, they, very typically in the UK fashion, it's kind of like we get snow and uh, there's a massive panic because we've never seen snow before, obviously. Um, and then it's kind of like the whole country comes to a standstill and then the next day it's gone. It's just a bit of slush. <laughs> that's it. Um, because our infrastructure is kind of set up to deal with drizzle. That's mm. that's essentially what our infrastructure is. When it's working at its max, drizzle. Um, <laughs> so yeah, everything else is uh, you know teed, you know slightly hot. That's it, done. But yeah, um, so good. I'm, I'm I'm glad you're having a dreary day there because that's mostly our. <laughs> That's what we get every every day of the year. Pretty dreary. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, uh, what have you been up to in terms of uh, what you do uh, uh, writing and stuff like that? Have you got anything uh, you want to talk to us about? Well, I'm, I'm probably best known for uh, the fanzine Exploitation Retrospect, yes. which my friend Lou Gonsi and I founded in uh, 1986. And we'll talk about it during the podcast, but Reanimator was pretty, pretty much the the crucial point um, which caused us to create the zine. Like we founded the zine kind of because of Reanimator, but not in particular the movie itself. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, we founded Exploitation Retrospect back in 86 and did it as a print zine Oh, for like 40-some issues. Uh, took a break for a while. There was a website. We still have a – there's still a blog – and uh, so that's that's basically what I've been doing. I've been writing about horror films, junk culture, drive-in culture, things like that uh, since like 1986. I also do a, a food scene called The Hungover Gourmet. So I'm always doing a little bit of writing and publishing on the side, um, you know, but uh, I just love horror films and I consider Reanimator pretty much the best one ever made. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think there's something about... Um, I mean, the whole idea of the exploitation film, I think, is endlessly fascinating. Whatever it is, whether even even if I, I I don't personally like the film, I like the idea of exploitation cinema, and I think that you know a kind of fanzine is the perfect medium for delivering the message about exploitation cinema and that whole kind of grindhouse sort of drive-in sort of culture. Uh, I mean, it's weird because we. I, growing up in in um, the UK, you know, the driving thing's not really, it's not a thing over here. You know, there might be the odd thing every now and again, or we have the outdoor showings, but it's not really a thing, and it never was a thing here. So, for me, growing up, I mean, I've never been to the states either. So, um, but it's 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 just something that's always fascinated me, and it's always it's always been yeah, I, I like the kind of more mainstream stuff that's connected with America, but I think that it is that the trash cinema exploitation, the drive-in, the Roger Corman's and the AIP cinema, and the kind of eighty splatter films. It's just um, that is kind of this this kind of counterculture, and that that is just a, a, a fascinating thing to me. So, so any kind of fanzines or anything, you know, in terms of what you're doing, um, you know, I will I trawl kind of charity shops over here, uh, which I guess is the sort of thrift thrift stores you might call them in America, uh, and and uh, you know, I'm lucky that where I am, it, it's quite a sort of you know a kind of uh, arty creative area. So people, a lot of people give stuff to charity shops you won't necessarily find anywhere else. But I've got so many books and films from there, but particularly books, you know, 
um and, and a lot of them you know I, I keep my eye out for books ju are just about sort of trash or horror or cult cinema um yeah it's it's just i don't i i i have absolutely um i i've got time for people that aren't kind of you know i understand people aren't not everybody's into that but i i kind of wonder why. <laughs> why why would you spend your entire life not being into that it's it's it's, right. it's, it's amazing you know yeah, why, I, why why would you spend time watching the english patient when you could be watching something like reanimator or or or, or whatever you know it just it just seems silly to me it's a waste of your time and mine <laughs> yeah well you know i was really lucky because uh, i grew up in the philadelphia area you know, so around a big city and ended up going there uh, for college. And it was, you know, mid 80s. So the quote unquote grindhouse cinema was still a thing. Like, you know, you could go and see a double feature of Witchboard and Seven Doors of Death at the Budco Midtown or, you know, Evil Dead 2 played theaters. Uh, you know, you'd get all of these kind of, you know, trashy movies. And it's funny, I'll, you know, I'll talk to people now. And we'll be talking about a movie that's just come out on Blu-ray or something, you know, some remastered whatever. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I saw that in the movies in 1986 or I saw that in the movies in 1987. Uh, one of my fondest memories is walking up the street to the theater that was right up the street from my house where a couple of my friends worked. And the two movies on the marquee were Avenging Force, which is the Michael Dudikoff canon uh, action film. It's sort of like a um, most dangerous game type thing. And the other one was Class of Newcomb High. And like, you know, to, to walk up to the theater and those are your two choices, you know, it was just it was a glorious time to be alive. And, you know, it was it was just great to write about that stuff because stuff was constantly coming out on video. And then you also had all of the stuff that was playing in the theaters. And then we were lucky enough to live. There were probably four drive ins within an hour of my house. And so you could go see a triple feature on the weekend of you know whatever it might be an action film it might be some retail like we saw switchblade sisters that under the title the jezebels we saw um vampire hookers under the title graveyard tramps you know so it was kind of like you'd go almost not knowing what you were going to see and that was that was just it made it incredible you know and i had a bunch of friends who worked in theaters so we would also get into the movies for free so we would go like a bunch of us would go on a Monday night and we'd hop around to three or four theaters and see a bunch of movies for free because that was, you know, that was the way that all the theaters worked. Like you could, everybody let everybody who worked for the other theaters in for free. Um, so we just had this ton of material to choose from and write about. And, you know, there's just something, like you said, there's just something fun about exploitation films. You know, they are entertaining. They are usually fast paced. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just an incredible time. Yeah. I, I mean, we, I, you know, I was kind of a long way from that, you know, growing up in the UK and, you know, it wasn't like I was growing, you know, maybe living in London in the UK, you know, you, you know, have more access to that, that kind of things. There are, you know, definitely cinemas in, in London, which would have specialized in that particularly in the seventies and eighties. But, you know, I grew up, you know, there was a, there was a town near me called Mansfield, um, which is about, you know, if you're talking about culture or counterculture, that was about a million miles away from <laughs> the tiniest little, it's like an ex mining town or mining town soon to be an ex mining town. And I didn't even live there. I lived like five miles down the road, even more out of the way. But even so we still had there was a still a cinema in mansfield called it was the abc cinema at the time and you know during the week they play mainstream movies and whatever was released but then on sundays they would always have like a, a horror or extreme sort of double bill so even in you know as far away a place from that the experience you're talking about i still had in the, the the 80s i was still getting access to that and then also we had as i've mentioned on this show before um in the uk in the 80s we had well in the eight sort of late 80s early 90s we had tv shows like so we had 
we we had three channels for a long time in this in this country, and then we had Channel Four introduced in the in the early eighties, and then later on Channel Four started showing. There was a series called uh, Jonathan Ross did the series, and it was called uh, Incredi- the Incredibly Strange Film Show. So, and also there was a series prior to that, which was. Um, it, it, it was kind of a, 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 a TV version of the Golden Turkey Awards. So, so they'd look at, you know, kind of so-called bad cinema and then they'd show like Santa Claus's Conquest the Martians and, and all that kind of stuff on Friday night. So I definitely had that. So as well as growing up with horror, um, I was definitely aware from a very young age of exploitation, low budget, um, you know, grindhouse, grindhouse type cinema. Um, and then we also, a bit later on, we also had a, a TV show called Movie Drone, which would show two takes. Alex Cox presented it and, and uh, he would present um, two cult films. And it was great because it was it was before a time, you know, VHS existed. And you could get a certain amount of VHS, but certainly you couldn't get a lot of things officially. So that Movie Drone was great in terms of showing us things we possibly never come across before or they were on tv very rarely and suddenly you got alex cox this cult director himself introducing these it was brilliant it was a great great time you know to be growing up yeah i uh, alex cox one of my favorites and and uh you know did he ever show uh the great silence the kinski spaghetti western ah you know i'll have to there there is an official list somewhere it wouldn't surprise me if he did. I know I, I've just I've just watched uh, the Great Silence uh, mm. uh, last weekend, um, and I know Alex. I was looking on the extras. I know Alex Cox has done some sort of intro. Yeah, like you know, yeah, he's a, he's a huge fan of that one. Yeah, it, it's uh, oh, it's an incredible film. That is, you know, it's just. Uh, I mean, I love. I'm massive spaghetti western fan, um, and, and obviously, you know um you know not not just the sergio leone but you know sergio cabucci is just a, yep. a, amazing uh, but i will watch anything from that era sort of italian westerns i will take any i will take the worst italian spaghetti western over the best 1950s american western every time i just yeah, see, love, love those films I'm a I'm a huge Kinski fan. I don't love spaghetti westerns, but I'm a huge Kinski fan. So I have watched a lot of bad, what I consider bad spaghetti westerns because Kinski made a lot of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great, great, the great silence set. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I kind of don't want to spoil it for people who have not seen it. Um, I, we do 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 spoilers on this, but because we usually stick to horror films, obviously, I, I if you've not seen. The Great Silence. Go out and watch it now, and I, I'm not going to tell you the ending, but you will. You are not expecting that ending. You won't. It, it will blow you away. It's a great film, and, and it's a kind of a nice. And it's not a nice film, but it's kind of a good Christmas film, you know, because it's very snowy. Yeah. As well. yeah, it's one of the things I love about it is it, it's got kind of a unique setting with the you know the snowy background to it, and, and Kinski's just phenomenal in it. So yeah, it's I I second your recommendation highly. Yeah, he's such a bastard in that film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, so, Dan, what's so okay? Yeah, exploitation cinema. But what is specifically horror? What would you say was your kind of through line into horror? Why did you start watching horror films? You know, so I grew up in a household where my dad was a huge sports fan and my mom was a huge movie fan, and every week so this you know i grew up in the 1970s basically and every week our newspaper would come with a tv insert you know and it would list okay here's everything that's coming out on the television this coming week and my mom would sit there and she would go through it and she would circle you know films that she thought i should watch and you know she loved classic style i mean she loved um you know uh, Madam X and Gaslight and the Hitchcock stuff. So she got me into into kind of those things later on. But the the real on ramp for me with horror, and I always tell people it was my gateway horror film, is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, because every Sunday one of the local channels they ran Abbott and Costello late on Sunday mornings, early Sunday afternoons, and we would go to church, we'd come home, and my mom would be making breakfast, and Abbott and Costello would be on, and I'd kind of plop down and sit and watch Abbott and Costello. And with the first time I saw Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, that was the first time I saw 
the universal monsters. You know, that was my first introduction to them. And I was, you know, it's, it's, it's a good horror movie, but I mean, it's just a great horror comedy. You know, the movie is hysterical and Abbott and Costello are just unbelievable. It's their top of their game in that movie. And so after seeing that and, you know, raving about it to my mom, I was like, oh my God, it was such a great movie and they, the monsters in it. And, and she said, well, you know, why don't you start watching, you know, some of the universal monsters, I'll let you watch some of those. And so I started in watching, you know, Son of Frankenstein and, you know, The Invisible Man and because that stuff played on our our local what we had um, what called UHF channels, which were the non main channels. They were owned by local companies and they were the ones that showed, you know, reruns of Ultraman and Space Giants yeah. and Batman and Speed Racer and stuff like that. But then they also showed movies. And so there was a in Philadelphia, there was a local, uh, I don't know, did you guys have like local horror hosts in England when you were growing up? Car. Like a guy who could host a show? Uh, no, no. Oh, okay. So we had we had this guy in Philadelphia and his name was Dr. Shock. And Dr. Shock. Oh, I see do... what you mean. No, um, oh, I, I, I get you. No, I, I, okay. Yeah. Okay, so Dr. No, we, we, we didn't, we kind of did, but it was later on. Um, okay. Uh, so, so we were very much aware obviously going back to vampire and people like that you know right yeah. right so, so yeah, later exactly. on yeah 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 so we had this guy in philadelphia called dr shock and dr shock did a show called creature double feature and it was every saturday and he would show you know a couple of movies and so it was like the universal stuff always got played and every, every once in a while it would be you know invasion of the flesh eaters or something like that and so then they started showing the hammer movies and so then i was like Oh, okay. Well, these are like the Universal movies, but they're in color and they're a little bit cooler than the Universal movies. So like that became, you know, my next step. And then in the late 70s, we were one of the first neighborhoods in our area to get cable television because we lived in an older development and we still had telephone poles. So the telephone poles made it easy for them to wire the cable right from the telephone poles to the house. So in like 1978, I had cable television and that just opened up a whole world to me because we had a channel out of Philadelphia called prism, which is still like the greatest thing that ever happened in my life because they showed all the Philadelphia sports, which my dad loved. And then they showed movies the rest of the time, which I loved. And they had absolutely no filter about what they put on when. So I still remember the guy coming to our house, installing Prism and, you know, showing us how to use the cable box. We had one of those boxes that had like a little dial on it and you would dial which row you wanted and then you would press the button and it corresponded to a certain channel or whatever. And the day that he installed it in our house and turned Prism on for the first time, there's a topless woman running through a barn being chased by a guy with an axe. And I was like, sold <laughs> I am, all right this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me so you know i'd come <laughs> home from school my parents would be out i'd make myself something to eat i'd plop down on the couch and i'd turn on prism and you know it was like god knows what was going to be on i still remember the day i came home and and uh, death game with seymour castle and colleen camp and sandra Locke was on and i was probably in seventh grade so i'm like 12 years old and Death Game comes on. I know nothing about Death Game. And by the end of it, I was just like, all right, I want to see more movies like this. And that was, you know, so that was kind of my progression. It was like the Universal stuff, the Hammer stuff, the 50s monster stuff, and then cable TV and VHS just opened up this whole world to me um, that I'm still like, you know, immersed in at, <laughs> to this day, you know yeah it's interesting i think you know particularly with you talking about albert costello meet frankenstein i mean that is because i you know i guess there's a cer certain quarters uh, or certain people within the horror fraternity if you like um would kind of look look at that and i know there is a certain narrative which suggests that that was kind of the nadir of a uh, sort of universal horror um but yeah the, the problem is you, 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 you're looking at things like that as a film critic and not as a, as a, as a child, uh, you know, and while as an adult, I'm going to probably wax more lyrical about Bride of Frankenstein or something like Mad Love or, or whatever, you know, these kind of weird subversive 1930s films. 
uh, that were made in, in a very specific time and were were just just fucking odd and strange. Um, however, you know, as a kid, I I wasn't that bothered about the original Dracula or the original Frankenstein or even Bride of Frank because I didn't didn't get it as a kid. You know, I saw the monsters, I liked the monsters, but you know, I didn't obviously as a kid you're not picking up any of that subtext or anything like that because you're not supposed to as a kid. So for me, it was always the second wave of universal horror films that were more because as a kid what do you want you want monsters and more monsters so you know you know films like house of frankenstein or house of dracula they were perfect for kids and and particularly something like you know later on with the you know with abbott costello who kind of took that took the elements of let's have monsters and monsters and monsters plus comedy i mean what's not to love about that you know it's just it's just great you know yeah 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 that it was just um and, and the thing is like i have a daughter now and she's 16 years old and so my wife is more of a fan of she's more of a classic film fan um so you know she's introduced our daughter to things like um you know ghost and mrs muir like that's my daughter's favorite film of all time she loves ghost and mrs muir she and my wife will watch a lot of, you know, those kinds of things. And my daughter's really interested in uh, the older, you know, Carol Lombard. Like she, you know, she told me yesterday how she watched a Carol Lombard movie that I'd never heard of. Uh, but she loves that stuff. And then the other night, she and I watched Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toymaker, because I told her that Mickey Rooney was in it. And she was like, well, I have to see it. <laughs> you know? so, so she's kind of got the best of both worlds um, in terms of her love of film from my wife and me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I don't have kids, um, but um, yes, occasionally, I, I, I think it might have been nice just so I could have some some minors to corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so uh, okay, I think it's about time that we went into our chosen film. So we are going to look at reanimator from 1985 as directed by stuart gordon herbert west is at the top of his class in medical school how can you teach such dribble these people are here to learn and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance what are he's you? brilliant but a little weird i've broken the six to twelve minute barrier i've conquered brain death his experiments have always been unorthodox it was dead <laughs> But lately, they're getting out of hand. And he's just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. Now, Dan, when was the first time you came across this film? So interestingly enough, and this is how Reanimator sort of inspired Exploitation Retrospect to start in the first place. Um, we had a film critic in Philadelphia, and I won't... He's dead now, but I won't mention his name. And he sort of just, it was just knee jerk one star reviews for anything that was horror related. Like he would just trash pretty much anything. And so, you know, you have to remember this is 1985. So there's no podcasts. I didn't know what a fanzine was. Uh, I wasn't reading Fangoria religiously or anything like that. So, you know, and there was also a ton of movies coming out. You, you, you know, stuff would come to town, and if it didn't get an audience, it was gone in five days. You know, you might not get a chance to see something. So when Reanimator came out, I remember picking up the paper and looking at his review, and I think he gave it one and a half stars. And so, you know, we were consumers. We needed to make choices. And so we were like, eh, all right, like, we'll go see something else. So I never saw Reanimator in the theater in its original run. So then when it came out on video, Vestron actually put out an R-rated version of it as well as the unrated version of it. So when I ended up seeing it for the first time, I actually saw the R-rated version, which is longer, obviously has more of the, you know, the nudity and gore cut out of it. There's a little bit more of the plot line of Dr. Hill being a hypnotist and things like that. And I was like, well, this is a good movie. You know, it's okay. It's pretty good. And then my friend who worked at a video store called me and he was like, hey, we got the uncut, you know, the, the unrated 
theatrical version of reanimator came in you probably want to check it out and so then i rented that and you know my socks were just completely blown off i was like this this movie is incredible the acting's phenomenal um i was in love with barbara crampton who wasn't um i still am uh you know jeffrey combs is just perfectly cast as west and so like it immediately vaulted past everything i had ever seen and became my favorite movie so like that was you know that was my first encounter with reanimator and so then my buddy and i were sitting around one night and we were like well wait a second so he gave this movie one and a half stars what else have we missed out on and what else are people missing out on because they're listening to people like this guy who's a you know a, a movie critic for a, a big metropolitan newspaper and so we were like well what if we started writing down our thoughts on movies again i didn't know there was a such thing as a fanzine and so we just kind of you know put it together i was going to college and i had a computer that uh, it was an early macintosh and had a printer and i was working at a pharmaceutical company where i had access to a um high volume printer uh copier at no cost so we just kind of put together this first issue okay and mailed it out to a, a couple of you know film uh, writers for newspapers and things like that and then i read a piece in film comment magazine did a piece on fanzines and they talked about michael weldon and they talked about um bill landis and some of those guys but then they also published a list of fanzines that were out at that time and so like people like michael gingold from scare you know for scarefinalia at that time and i'm trying to even think if steve puchowski had started slime time at that point but anyway so i got that list from film threat or from uh, film comment magazine of these fanzines and mailed out copies to these fanzines and then the next thing you know my mailbox is just full of fanzines like every day i'm going to and so like word started spreading like wildfire that hey you know here's these guys that have this new fanzine and so our name starts getting passed around and we're getting blurbs in different um you know other zines and so all of a sudden we're exposed to all of these phenomenal fanzines from all over the world and like that was just it just took off from there yeah i i mean I, there's a lot of things that resonate there i mean we similarly with your um unnamed uh film critic who's no longer with us uh similarly we in in over here we the only for a long time the only access we had to anybody talking about cinema on television other than the fact that you're obviously getting films and double bills and things like that was it was for it, it, during the 70s and 80s it was just the, it was just called the film program so it's film followed by whatever year it was so film 70 71 whatever and for a long time it's presented by a guy called barry norman and it was exactly the same sort of thing he you know freely admitted he hated horror but rather than just watch films and give it a fair review he just kind of made up his mind about horror before and it would undoubtedly you know anything came out with Meryl Streep in he'd just be you know you know all of it you waxing lyrical about it you know but anything horror he just wrote off straight away and it used to it oh god I hated it so much and it because he was just so unrepresentative and 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 uh there's a famous incident uh we talked about this on the podcast before when we did um um, Hellbound Hellraiser 2 and it was where he'd basically really slagged off Hellraiser the original Hellraiser uh, but then when it came to Hellbound Hellraiser 2 um, the BBC wanted him to go and be on the set while they were making the film now Clive Barker had said well yeah but the but if he's going to do that then the condition is that he has a photo with Doug Bradley dressed as Pinhead, you know. Uh, so this was kind of the, the thing. But then when they were doing that, they basically locked him in a room with Clive Barker. And it, Clive Barker was just saying, why did you slag off Hellraiser so much? And he's like, well, you know, I, I'm, you know, or, uh, hold my hands up. I don't like horror films. And Clive Barker's like, that is, I don't care. 
you're you're th that's not your job you're you're there to honestly review films not decide that this is a horror film it's a genre you don't like so you're just going to slag it off straight away so yeah it's very similar over here and it wasn't to I, I mean ironically the guy i mentioned earlier on jonathan ross who started off on channel four doing the incredibly strange film show and is a huge advocate for horror and cult films he ended up taking over from barry norman on the main sort of bbc one channel so uh you know so it, it's weird how these things work out but um yeah i absolutely um yeah i, I can definitely uh i understand that that kind of feeling and uh, because that, like you said there wasn't really you know similar in this one there's no, nothing out there um you know like i said it's very difficult you know podcasts we've got podcasts all the time now talking about whatever subject you know and whatever sort of sub subjects of the, of that thing so but then no you had to delve around looking for books or waiting for a, a showing of a film at a particular time and if you missed it that was it you know or if you didn't you don't, didn't have a VHS, you couldn't record it, you may not, not ever see that film or not see it for another five years, you know. So, right. yeah, it's very, very, uh, very straight. It's kind of exciting, but but a kind of uh, blink and you'll miss it time as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and it, it became, like you said, books, you know, like uh, the Psychotronic Film Guide, you know, from Michael Weldon and stuff like that. That became like your, my Bible. You know, you'd go through and like, but the thing was, like you said, you might never see that film back in that time. Like it was so hit or miss. If it if it showed up on your local UHF channel, great. But if not, you were out of luck. You know, you might never see these movies. So it it was kind of, uh, you know, it was like a treasure hunt in a way. Like you just never knew what you were going to find. And you know, uh, I remember seeing stuff like on 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 cable, seeing stuff like Cutter's Way, and it might show one time, and if you didn't see it and you didn't have a VCR to record it, well, you know, you were totally out of luck. So it was, it was a, it was a pretty fascinating time to be a movie fan. Yeah. I remember um, when they first, cause the free freaks was banned in this country for over 30 years. And I remember the first time they showed it on British TV and it was part of a band season. And I, I just remember thinking that I, I, I would, I would probably kill somebody <laughs> not to miss this film. It was just, you know, it was such a huge event for me. I remember they kind of trailed it the week before and I was around at my friend's house and I was just like, my, my, my jaw just hit the ground. And it's like, I, I was, I was planning my week, you know, working up to that point when freaks oh, was on, great. you know, so it was, I, 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 you know, I've said this before. At a time now where you can access pretty much everything, whether it's on DVD, Blu-ray, YouTube, whatever, streaming, I have no problem with that. It's absolutely, you know, it, it's very useful. I, I teach a lot of stuff about films. It's incredibly useful to have instant access to clips. Um, however, there is something very unique about that time in that you, it was the first real sort of time where you're getting not just people that went to the cinema but you were having people who were into very niche or film fanatics um and, and who were hungry to see these strange out of the way films um and so yeah, yeah. I, but the, the idea that you only had you were only able to see them on t television or m maybe at the cinema but it's and and if you didn't see it it they they created this weird this this much stronger connection with these films the downside about having instant access is that they become throwaway and 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 you know then they weren't when we were younger right and you know growing up in philadelphia it was a university town and so i still remember going and sitting on a floor somewhere and watching a projection of beyond the valley of the dolls on like it was like a, either a sheet or a white wall at the Temple University Cinematech, you know, because it wasn't available on VHS and it sure as hell wasn't going to play on television. So it was like your only way to see Beyond the Valley of the Dolls was, hey, there's a screening of it on Thursday night in Philadelphia. And if you don't see it, then you're screwed because there's no other way to see it. Herbert West brought a lot of dead people back to life. 
and not one of them showed any appreciation. So, uh, Dan, so this is obviously uh, Reanimator is based on a short story by H.P. Lovecraft, um, Herbert West, Reanimator. So, um, have you read that story? Are you how familiar are you with uh, H.P. Lovecraft as an author? As well, a writer? you know, I, we probably had the same experience. You know, a high school kid, a you know, teenager picking up the Lovecraft anthologies you know at the bookstore and and reading them so read those a lot my my first exposure to lovecraft was probably the old night gallery tv show you know the rod serling and they would adapt a lot of the lovecraft stories and you know some of the stingers at the end were little nods to lovecraft so that was like you know my my main exposure to lovecraft like back in high school um i have read the story and you know there's some there are some great pieces that Dennis Paoli pulls out of the story. Um, you know, you 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 don't realize how much he does kind of pick and choose um, as you're reading it. You can kind of harken back to things that happen in the movie. Um, it's funny. I had a chance to meet Stuart Gordon and Dennis Paoli at one of um, Jeffrey Combs's one man Edgar Allan Poe shows, and so we were chatting after the show and. I mentioned that I had I had just seen Reanimator on the big screen, probably I don't know five or six months before I ran into them. And the funniest thing was they both said to me at the same time they were like, "How did it hold up?" I was like, "What do you mean? How did it hold up? <laughs> it's such a great movie." But you know, it's and and Dennis Paoli we talked about you know the challenges of of taking that story and adapting it for a, you know a modern audience, you know, because it is. It is so of its time. I mean, I I absolutely love um, Lovecraft's work. Uh, I, I really do. And I think it's one of those things where there's people I would kind of equate of being sort of similar in, in a way. I think if you think about sort of sci-fi and horror, um, if you think about something like Ray Bradbury, who is possibly, you know, my favourite author. I just, I, I love i'll just read anything by ray bradbury um and i think the reason is with bradbury there's always a kind even if he's dealing with darker material there's always a warmth there's he he understands humanity and you get you get the feeling that he despite what he's saying despite his criticisms of humanity he's basically he understands whose team he's on he's he's for humanity you know um and i think there's a lot you know even someone like clive barker who is you know he writes some incredibly it's more cynical and it's um you know horrific imagery and yet there is still something given his background you know he comes from a working class background he was gay when it really wasn't acceptable to be gay at that point you know so you you can see that humanity in his work with i think with some some people like hb lovecraft i you get the feeling that there was a genuine madness there. Um, I, I don't just mean in terms of the work he was putting on. It just feels like he was understanding of something that we, the rest of us, can't possibly kind of understand. And he gives, he threads some of these things together and he pulls these different factions together, particularly in his later work. But I think with something like uh, obviously, Herbert West, Reanimator, that is an earlier sort of story. And it, it's kind of, it's not necessarily as connected with other things as these other stories were. Um, but it's an interesting story. Uh, and I think the, you know, I think the film is very, um, you know, it's very faithful to the story. Um, but it does different things. It obviously takes that that the impetus of that story and takes some of that the imagery and takes some of the ideas, um, but it puts it within the bounds of a brightly coloured neon splatter film from the eighties. Now, I think in terms of Lovecraft, I mean the other thing, obviously the other thing, the elephant in the room with Lovecraft, he was, you know, not not a particularly uh, warm human being. Um, I, I, you know, and obviously, it's been spoken of before. There was a huge kind of racist element to his kind of understanding and his philosophies, which I I hold no truck with. Um, 
But again, um, you know, is it particularly like something like Herbert West Reanimator. There's a section in that about the boxer, the black boxer, and there is a. It's very difficult to read. There is a section there where he's literally saying, you know, he's equating this guy to being a, a beast or an animal, and it's very, very difficult not to sort of understand just how deeply troubled this guy was, you know. Um, but you know, but having said, and this is this is no means of defence. But I, he wasn't alone. I think this idea, I think the the this sort of twenty first century idea. Oh, let's pick on H.P. Lovecraft. He was racist. Yeah, he fucking wasn't alone. I mean, I mean, people think that the Nazis came out of nowhere. No, they were they were just tapping into sort of racist fears that have been there for years and years and years. And even you know all the things. If you look at a lot of art and particularly uh, literature from that time. As brilliant a lot of it holds up. I'm a massive Agatha Christie fan, you know. Um, but, uh, and she was a great, she was a br- brilliantly intricate writer, just a very, very clever writer. Um, and in some ways, she was very progressive. I mean, some people would argue that she kind of had the money and the privilege to be slightly more progressive than a working class mm. woman of the same sort of age or era. However, you know, there is still stuff that is makes it absolutely of that time, you know, um, as well as, you know, obviously, um, and then there were none, you know, that wasn't the the original title for that. I'm not even going to say the original title because it's, you know, it's not acceptable, you know. But also, you know, I was reading, um, there's, a, there's a story called Death in the Skies by Agatha Christie, and it's a great little story, but then it just gets to a point and they're talking about these two characters in this story and it's, it's kind of this romance is building between them and it's kind of like, you know, it's this, this list of things. Oh, they liked this and they didn't like this and they both liked honey, but one of them didn't like this. And then it's just, a, but they what the one thing they could agree on is that they both did not like Negroes. And it was just like, where the fuck has this come from? This is nothing to do with this story. Right. And it's just like, fuck, you just have to remind yourself you are reading things from the 1920s and 30s where it was, gen- you know, racism on the whole was generally just accepted and encouraged you know largely you know so so yeah obviously that is a very uncomfortable side of lovecraft but if we separate you know if we separate the work from the jerk you know we've got uh an incredible body of work absolutely you know i think you know as much as i kind of sympathize with that with cancel culture a lot of the time because some people should be canceled because they're not very nice you know they, they don't deserve a platform um i think this idea of kind of canceling someone like lovecraft yeah cancel the person but you're missing out if you're a horror fan and you're not at least reading one or two stories by lovecraft you really are missing out because they are works of genius i think just mad genius you know insane horrible genius uh and i i think in a similar way i'd equate him to philip k dick i don't think philip k dick was a a a nasty person or anything like that but i think in the same way that you get the feeling with i've read a lot of philip k dick stuff and you get a feeling that it's not necessarily intrinsically linked but everything he was writing it's kind of linked in some way. It's all part of this weird universe that he created. And I get that feeling with Lovecraft as well. But yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's a brilliant sort of the stories he created were just from somewhere else. Literally, I mean that's his whole kind of shtick, but it that's what it feels like. You feel like that he didn't necessarily write them, you feel like he he kind of found them in a cave somewhere and just, just put them out in the world. They they just they come out yeah, of it's, nowhere. It, like you say, it's almost like he's it's it's almost like he's channeling them. <laughs> you know? It's it's not like it's being written. It's like that he's channeling this information and putting it down. And it it does seem like it's kind of like a it's a it's from another world, literally. Yeah, and I think it, it's it's interesting. Um, I, you know, I I do a lot. I teach a lot of film courses at a, a cinema called the Broadway Cinema in Nottingham, where I am, and I do a lot of horror and cult courses. And the last course I'm just finishing off is called American Gothic. So it's kind of looking specifically at American horror and American horror films. Um, and I guess I guess one of the differences is that you know, with with a lot of British or English horror films, even. There is this kind of connection to the land, and, and and I guess there is the the still the hangover from people like Mary Shelley and and Bram Stoker, but 
and I'm not saying that didn't influence American films and, and American horror as well, but I think you know, in America, it, it's it's kind of the the tentacles, you know, stretch out from people like H.P. Lovecraft, but also um, Edgar Allan Poe as well. And I think there's a lot of that influence, you know, this idea of isolated communities or you know somehow stumbling across the 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 town that's gone bad that's a very lovecraft idea you know people tend to think lovecraft all oh, tentacles you know no love lovecraft it's about the unseen the unspoken it's the thing that's not quite on the page or on the screen and that's why i think this um reanimate is interesting because it's kind of an adaptation of an earlier story whereas i think a lot of time you try and do the bigger stuff that's linked to sort of uh, Thulu and all that kind of stuff, it's not that translatable. I'm not saying there aren't some decent adaptations, but it, it's a very hard thing to get right because it is about what's not on screen. I think sometimes the most Lovecraftian things are not direct adaptations, but they just retain that feeling, the same feeling. The lighthouse to me that's that's very lovecraft that's incredibly lovecraft yeah i you know, you know um another Stuart gordon film i think is one of my favorite lovecraftian is dagon you know dagon is like that's a movie that i think really nails that lovecraft vibe very very well yeah 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 i think i think the other thing about i mean this is a kind of 80s splatter film and it, it's a perfect in a way it's a great companion piece to something like return of the living dead from the same year um and the the reason i love return of the living dead is because it is it has um it's it's kind of it it's got loads of it's got really brilliant ideas in and it kind of it, it invents tropes that romero didn't come up with you know obviously it was his old writing pal um and so it creates this new kind of zombie vibe that we've not seen before when he's often kind of overlooked and it's not given him enough credit for that there's some brilliantly visual ideas in, in return of the living dead but also it, it, you know it, it it throws in this comedy element as well similar to to reanimator uh it's very bright it's very colorful it's a it's a mid-80s mtv party film this is the you know this is when sort of motley crew and sort of hair metal was huge as well and their videos a lot of those videos were kind of tying into similar sort of aesthetic it makes perfect sense for a film this to come out smack bam in the middle of the 80s it's a perfect horror film for the 80s um uh you know and and i think it's um but it's yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think it's a perfect, it's it's a good adaptation because, like I said, it do it doesn't necessarily have to connect with anything else, but but it it does create this very typically eighties vibe. But I think if you going back to the original Herbert West reanimator story, what's interesting about that because it was the twenties when that was written. Um, if you look at obviously um you know going back to mary shelley for a second if you look at obviously the frankenstein has been filmed over and over and over again but if you look at particularly a lot of those early adaptations if you look at um the 1931 version of frankenstein and also if you look at curse of frankenstein from hammer you know i don't know i'm not going to say they were but if they it, it, the way that herbert west reanimator is crafted you would imagine that they'd taken a lot from that story rather than basically there's a lot more i would argue there's a lot more in common with something like curse of frankenstein with herbert west reanimator than there is with the mary shelley original book it's it's a really nice template to use for that kind of frankenstein-esque connection I yeah think. and one of the other things I, I i love about the story is that it's also got that like it's got the birkin hair element and it's got the frankenstein element you know, and, and I always thought that, um, you know, I don't love Bride of Reanimator, but I do really like Beyond Reanimator. And I always kind of in my head wish, I wish that the series had gone on in kind of the way that the Hammer Frankenstein movies had gone on, you know, and that each of those movies, yes, they're connected with the characters, but 
they're each this own little standalone movie. Um, and that was what I liked about Beyond Reanimator. And then, you know, they were in talk to do House of Reanimator, which was going to be set in the White House and the president was going to get killed and they were going to call in Herbert West and have him reanimate the president who was going to be played by William H. Macy. And it's just like, why didn't that happen? <laughs> you know, it's just incredible. And, and I don't know if you've read the book, but there's a book out now called, uh, I think it's called Unseen Horrors. And Brian Usna has a whole chapter in there about unmade reanimator projects. And it's just, no. it's just wild. It's mind blowing. Some of the, some of the concepts that they had in, in place for sequels that just never happened, unfortunately. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to have to get that because I, I, that, it's one of my sort of pet loves, really. I, I the idea of films that were almost made, yeah. you know, the stuff that, 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 that we, we will never get to see, um, or, or even bits that have been cut out of films that have been lost forever. You know, that, that fascinates me as well. Yeah, the same way. You know, the fact that we'll, we'll never see the original ending of Freaks, you know, that 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 has been lost, that's gone somewhere. Uh, or we'll never see uh, Lugosi's original Frankenstein screen test, you know. All of that kind of stuff just, I, you know, I almost, I, I've toyed with the idea of doing a novel or something around that is suddenly you know finding all this stuff and uh, um yeah i i just really interests me I'm, I'm not, and i do really like the idea of those unmade films you know there were king kong projects that never got off the ground that would have been really interesting and loads of things like that um yeah yeah so so yeah uh, and like you say reanimator is if you know I'd, I'd much rather i've said this before but i i'd much rather see more films from something like reanimate even if they got really bad i'd rather see that concept used and abused to the nth degree than something like halloween which halloween just ran its course you know after the first two films for me i don't really see i'm you know i am wrong because it they still remain popular but i i don't get it you know and i thought you know i think halloween 3 was really interesting and they kind of could have stuck with that um so no something like um because it's, it's just the concept for halloween is is okay but once you've done you've explored that thing that's it there's nothing nowhere else to go with it yeah um but something like reanimator it's endlessly and in the same way that frankenstein is you know look look what hammer did with frankenstein you know he's amazing you know he's just 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 uh, yeah how let's what what should we do with him this time oh women we'll do women right. this time or you know we'll we'll do all this you know a monster from hell all this kind of you know let's put him in a lunatic asylum let's do that he's just it was great it's like having a little peter cushing action figure they could just place into different sort of scenarios and I think you could easily have done that with Herbert West and Reanimator and just done a, done a ton. I know they did two sequels, but there, there could have been a whole cycle of films, oh, absolutely. which would have been endlessly fascinating. I yeah, think. yeah. I mean, oh, Christ, you know, what, who, who, what, like you say, with, it's ultimately it's going to get to reanimating the president, but, you know, what else could they have done? You know, I, I know the idea of reanimating body parts as well, you know, just, you know, as they do in, in the story and, and obviously in, in the original film as well i mean that's um yeah i think one of the yeah. one of the ones that used talks about is there was like it was like island of reanimator and like you know he gets he gets after the events of beyond reanimator they take him to this island to put him away on this island and he starts like creating these monstrous creatures out of you know body parts on the island and they, they have you know there's all these like production sketches and things and it was just the, you know just like the create you know yuzna you know he comes up with these you know subcon sometimes comes up with these incredibly crazy concepts and uh it, yeah you really need to pick up this book because it's not just reanimator you know it's people talking about all of these unmade horror films yeah and you'd love it you totally love it yeah i mean Brian Usner is just uh he's he's that kind of guy isn't he? he was just um just just someone who you know very much was just cult through and through and just you know even if he was doing something more mainstream like honey I shrunk the kids I mean yeah that was a popular mainstream family children's film or whatever but if you look at it and break it down it's just so cult you know everything about it you know 
it was just you know sometimes cult movies do end up being big kind of mainstream but essentially behind that there's there's a cult sort of aesthetic and everything about that film is just just bizarre you know um and i i think it still stands up that first uh honey i shrunk the kids great um but yeah and, and usner was you know he was in and out of doing those kind of either producing or directing these kind of weird and wonderful sort of low budget 80s 90s films um just a great character i think and uh and, you know someone that for me i i you know i'd much rather take someone like Roger Corman or or Brian Usner and all these kind of people that 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 are just on the edges or on the fringe they they're just more interesting to me and um I you know I will watch don't get me wrong there's a lot of Spielberg films I love but I'm less interested in the guy and his kind you know a lot of his other stuff I mean beyond jaws and stuff like that I'm not that interested in his oeuvre mm-hmm. but um someone like Roger Corman or Brian Usner they just you know they create these these oddities that that are just there to to enliven our my existence anyway if no one yeah else and it's is, fun it? It, you know we're in this this age like you said you know between dvd and blu-ray and streaming or whatever you know you're able to go on a deep dive in on someone's career whether it's like you said a yuzna or a paul nashi or a particular genre santo films or something like that like you can go on a deep dive and just really get into these i mean god there's five silent like deadly night movies you know <laughs> so it's like you know you have this opportunity to kind of really really f- drill down and find these kind of hidden gems um and those guys who are on the fringes you know are are, are kind of fascinating yeah and and what's good about sort of physical media that there's something almost every week now or every month at least that comes out that is just like you know when i was growing up as a kid it's just like i'm never going to see that you know the thought of find finding out there was a whole subgenre of cinema which was purely based on mexican wrestling I was just like, what? <laughs> why don't I? Why aren't these films on my TV now? And you know, and to go through, you know, thirty odd years later, and actually have a box set of the Santo films and stuff like that is, uh, you know, it's and and every like I said, every month, you know, so um, for Christmas, I'm going to be getting um the todd slaughter boxer and, and you know and all michael murphy and all all these kind of people these these people that are just kind of on the fringes or not really known by that many people but just to keep constant i mean in some ways it's it's uh it's difficult because i mean i've got a finite bank balance you know but um yeah the fact that they are there and you can usually get them at some point or even if you can't afford to buy them you know you can sign up for um i mean i write for arrow so i get free access to their arrow tv so i can watch stuff that they've got through there i think that's that's kind of to me that's the future of streaming it's the more niche streaming channels because i think with something like netflix or whatever it's just so huge and that you you can spend days just trying to find something that you might be yeah i I, I totally agree i think that we're gonna we're gonna get to this point where it's you know something like shutter you know shutter is a great channel where it's 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 yeah it's it's a boutique kind of niche streaming channel and i i love it you know they they show the vinegar syndrome stuff and you know you get these you get these you know the other night i was like ah i want to watch something that i've seen before that's just gonna you know wash over me and i was like ah tenebrae like tenebrae was was on there you know and then you've got these labels like cauldron films and arrow and 88 films and um you know these things that are coming out blood delirium yeah i watched blood delirium a couple weeks ago with john philip law and gordon mitchell and it's just like why like like that that's out on blu-ray is just it's an it's a we have too many it's almost like we have too many options yeah i like i said i'm lucky because i i write for a lot of these kind of boutique blu-ray companies so i get a lot of freebies so um yeah, but even with stuff like, you know, 80, I'll, I'll write for 88 films and occasionally I'll be like, you know, uh, they'll ask me to do stuff and I'm like, hmm. Um, 
you know, don't pay me for this. Just send me this instead. Send, send, send me five boxes of this instead because I'll just waste my money on that anyway. So, yeah. So, but I, it, it's just kind of groovy. I never, you know, I, I even like, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, I couldn't have uh, imagined I'd be writing for a lot of these companies. So it's great. You know, I, I just love it while they're, while they're still there. I, I hope I'll be able to write for them. Um, yeah. Um, so, any other thoughts on um, Reanimator? For me, and in and rewatching it, and I've probably watched it a hundred times over the years. Uh, it's just, it's the casting is phenomenal. Like, I can't picture anyone other than Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West. You know, he's just so perfectly cast. Dan, uh, you know, Bruce Bruce Abbott is the you know the kind of the the bland foil for him who was kind of the assistant but doesn't really approve of what he's doing and then you know david gale is as dr hill is just so he plays it so well it's just such a great character and he really like there is no holding back um and the film is just so incredibly well paced like once it hits that scene where they reanimate the cat like it just goes gangbusters. Like there is the economy of motion in that movie it is just non-stop you know it is so well paced the music is fantastic. You know, one of my other favorite films is Psycho. So, you know, the first time I heard that music, I was just like, are they just using the Psycho music? <laughs> you know? So yes. it's yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just it, every every part of it, I think, um, it just comes together in such a, a co cohesive package that, it, I don't know, it's just it's just a brilliant movie. It's it's. It's funny. It doesn't try too hard. And and you're probably going to be surprised by this, but you're talking about Return of the Living Dead earlier. I don't like Return of the Living Dead. I think it tries too hard. You know, something like, um, for me, Reanimator, uh, another one of my favorites, Demons, like they don't try too hard. They're not trying to be a cult film. They're just being a film, you know, and that's that's what I love about Reanimator. It's what I, I, I love From Beyond too, but I always feel like From Beyond tries a little too hard. Um, so I, you know, and I told, I told Jeffrey Combs this once when I met him, I thought, I think it's the greatest film ever made. He was a little shocked by that. Um, as you can imagine, but, uh, I, I really do. I think, I think it's just, it's such a wonderful piece. Like you said, it's such a great eighties splatter film. It's smart. It's funny. The performances are awesome. The music is great. It looks great. And it's just a, it's just a fabulous time. You know, you can rewatch it time and time again and always enjoy it yeah i i i think uh i mean i'm not i'm not gonna argue about return of the living dead i think you're wrong on that i think it's just a everybody thinks film. i'm wrong um uh, uh, i um but i think yeah like you said from the moment they reanimate the cat that's when it kind of really kicks up a pace and and never really stops but um i'm always a bit um you know reanimator's not on its own for doing this but I, it's I, I'm always a bit kind of, because I've got cats and I love cats, and my cats are just, I love cats. Cats get bad PR in horror films, I think. They don't, they, they it's kind of like someone's got a cat and it's like, they're introduced, oh, where's, where, where's, where's Puss gone? It's like, they, you know, oh, you're sitting there, oh God, something's happened to the cat. And of course it's going to be in his freezer or whatever. Uh, but it's always like, um, the the, immediately they get over the shock well you've reanimated my cat no one's bothered about that animal anymore i i you know last time i lost a cat i was like i was just distraught for weeks right. nobody really goes into this in horror films you know cats are you know you, you look look at john wick you know a whole franchise of films has been born out of someone killing his dog cats not so much i yeah, see you know, I'm, a, I'm a dog guy so for me fly two is a hard watch because there's the whole thing oh. with the dog in Fly Two, you know, and it's just like, ooh, I don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, I, I've not, I, I've not revisited Fly Two for a long time for that reason. It's, it's really. Hard. I watched it last year, and I was like, oh wow, I forgot how how rough this is. Yeah. Yeah, it is rough. Oh yeah, it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking mm -hmm. that scene is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so um, do you want to give us a plug then? You got anything you'd like to plug? Oh, sure. Um, you know, you can still catch uh, my writings uh, every now and then at eronline.blogspot.com. 
We're also on Facebook under Exploitation Retrospect, so come and check that out. And I am working on a new issue of The Hungover Gourmet. That is coming back after a, oh, probably like a 10, 12-year hiatus while I was raising uh, my daughter. So so what's the what hungover gourmet what's the hungover gourmet i don't drink it's this, it's um. well you know it's funny it's one of those things that i created the name you know probably 30 years ago and it was kind of an unfortunate choice because it's not really about that it's really a it's a food and drink and restaurant reviews and anything kind of food related but the name is so good that i can't get rid of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so I did, you know, I did like 12 issues of that um in the 90s and the early 2000s and then kind of stopped when my daughter was born because I was working from home and raising her, but uh now that she's in high school and I'm working outside the house, I have a little bit more time. So I figured I'd, you know, do a new issue and see see what happens. Great. Um well, yeah, I mean, uh please Please do follow our Facebook page. Um, I'm not doing fucking X or Twitter, whatever it's called anymore. Fuck that. It's just pointless. Yeah. It's dying. Um, so don't look for me on there. Um, but yeah, follow us on Facebook and obviously check out other episodes of the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts because we are out there. We're all over the place. Um, yeah, it just remains for me to say thank you to Dan Taylor for coming on today and being a fantastic guest. Really, really, really enjoyed this conversation about Reanimator. Um, it's been really nice to chat, also to chat about exploitation cinema and everything you're doing over there. It's fascinating, fascinating. So thanks, thanks a lot for coming. Hey, on. thanks, Andrew. I love the podcast. It's uh, it's a great lesson. And uh, cheers. Have a cup of tea. <sighs> so remember to call round next time. Make yourself at home. You look like you're dying for an ice cup of tea for terror. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future.